Welcome once again to another Eclim Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Lau. And today I'm thrilled to introduce you to a trailblazer who has dedicated two decades to the energy sector and who also imparts knowledge as an adjunct professor. Please join me to welcome Tusina to our podcast today. Tusina, we're eager to hear about your journey and how you played an instrumental role uh, in leading Malaysia's expedition into solar energy. Uh, would you kindly tell us what you do and your story? Hi, Ben. Um, thank you for, for having me here. So currently, um, in my role, I'm in an uh, energy company. I'm looking at the human capital development aspect uh, for the whole organization. And my current focus is uh, on competency development itself. Uh, but of, of course, there are elements of sustainability because that is where uh, the company is heading right now. So I do look at uh, sustainability from uh, a human capital development perspective. In terms of my background itself, I would think I would. I have a, quite a colourful background, I must say. I started out as an environmental engineer. That's, that is what my degree is in. Um, and when I joined the company, I was looking more at a research management angle. So that was when uh, we were looking at solar projects, biomass pro projects, because we wanted to know what the potential was. And that was back in uh, 2006. That was kind of the hype at the moment in Malaysia and of course in uh, globally in the industry as well. So we were looking at that. And eventually, uh, the organization decided to go into more focused areas and they wanted to explore solar as, an, uh, as a business option. Right, so I was in that, that small team and what I loved about that was it was not the focus of the company, but they were forward-looking enough to know that it is up and coming and it will be part of the future. And the team members were not assigned by the management. It was um, based on who was passionate enough to take that risk to be in this team because we did not know whether or not it will be successful, right? And part of that team, uh, we did all the market research and we recommended options for the company to enter the solar industry, right? And then at that moment, um, I think uh, the economic situation was good. Uh, we made investments and uh, eventually that team, uh, it was absorbed uh, in the whole organization. It became part of the, the, the structure, if you will. Uh, but after that, I left uh, Renewable Energy. I went back into the core business and I started doing project economics, uh, data analytics, uh, and my involvement was also in the upstream uh, section as well as the downstream. So I think I got quite a, a diverse view of uh, the, the value chain of the company itself. And then um, I landed myself into a team or a project which they were looking into how we manage technical talents, right? Because previously it was quite rigid and it was very specialized. 
So we found that it was hard to move as an energy company um, due to uh, the, the industry's landscape. And things were more volatile at that time. And I think terms like VUCA, right, uh, was, was uh, up and coming at that time. And we had a, a downturn, economic downturn, where the price of oil per barrel dipped down to almost uh, $30 at that point. So we thought that, okay, now this is the time where we have to look at how we manage our talents because talents are what moves the company, right? They are the critical element in how the company would operate. Yes, you would have your investments in your technology, you would have your strategy, but it's all based on the people that you have in the company. If they are too specialized, it is hard for that talent to broaden their horizons, to explore new areas, to innovate even, right? And it's not their fault. It's just because that's how they have been trained and that is what their role is, right? So we thought, okay, we need a better way to manage our talents. And that was the point where I started to go into human capital development. Um, but I would say it's more on uh, the strategic part of HR as opposed to the operational part. And from looking at technical talents, uh, I moved into a role where now I had to look into uh, all of the talents in the company. Not only do we need to make our technical talents agile, we need to make the whole company agile, right? And that is through looking at uh, the technical competencies, uh, leadership competencies, yeah? And also, um, I have always been interested in sustainability. And even now, I am continuing my master's in the topic of sustainability with uh, the elements of human capital development. Yeah, so that's, that's where I am. Uh, a question on many minds, especially regarding energy transition. How does the core skill sets uh, from traditional energy generation differ from the the core skill sets required in the renewable energy generation sector? Um, if you're talking about skill set, honestly, it's not that different, right? If you look at uh, specifically solar energy, you still need uh, civil engineers, right? If you want to build a plant, you still need to have uh, technicians, electrical engineers, right? So there's almost like um, nothing new, I would say. But what is required is a different way of thinking. So that is a skill which you don't really learn from a formal education, right? It is, you learn it from um, reading like all kinds of books ranging, for, for, ranging from organizational development to behavior changes, mindset changes. So I find that that is one of um, the critical but hardest part as well for a talent, right? Because you can't tell a person to innovate. Okay, now, innovate, right? It needs to come uh, from a place where uh, the environment is um, that nurtures that innovation, right? Even, even the leaders, right? It needs to be a very nurturing environment. Even the, the person's perspective, how they look at things need to be different, right? So from a, a technical skill set, it's not much different, but from the softer um, skill sets, 
but to me it's the harder skill set right you call it soft skills right but it is a hard skill to have i think that is far more important right in order to have that uh innovation a different way of thinking and things like that and currently i am also um for myself for my own personal development i am specifically looking at uh systems thinking where you think in systems and you think about uh the end to end life cycle right so is uh concept the concept is similar to circular economy like um if if you have started something where would the end be right do you does it return to where you start is it circular or it ends and it goes to waste or landfill and things like that right and that is an important way of thinking in order for us to really figure out what are the impacts due to our own actions right because um when i was in my role in upstream it was really fascinating um so the company uh, is involved end to end right where we have upstream and we have downstream and downstream is where um the, the processing part is right so the and it's different businesses you have is called the upstream business the downstream business right so upstream business have their own kpis and the kpis is most likely on production how much oil you can produce how much gas you can produce right so they will do absolutely anything they will go into uh, technologies research in order to increase uh, um production because that is the kpi this that is their income right but they also have um the buyers downstream right they are their customers who buy their products the the all the gas and this refinery will process it to make product yeah so all this the lessons learned um from from other industries can actually be used in the sustainable uh, development front in reflecting on your experiences in renewable energy and then moving back uh into a more traditional role uh did you observe any distinct differences in the working culture uh specifically did the smaller organization lean towards more system thinking and design thinking uh compared to you know your larger organization which which had a preference for super specialization yes i know because sometimes i feel that when and when we are deep into our work we don't really look at others right because the point is that we want to get the job done you want uh, to get the best revenue the best profit right because what is the impact of if you uh, have that system thinking you start to think about the your impact to other people and you have to make those changes but at the end of the day your pnl your profit and losses will be impacted right so i feel that um if either when i was doing sustainability versus the the core or and gas business that kind of thinking was not um really there right and i also find that um even if we are in a, a sustainable development a team or company um unfortunately some people 
will will get into the thinking that oh i am right and all these other people are are wrong but it's not right we, we support each other um because i was just going through uh mckinsey's uh report and they were outlining the the six steps in terms of how you want to have uh, or even introduce a sustainability uh, business you still need a core business to support because i, I was reflecting on this like uh, ben in in preparation uh, for this podcast i was reflecting on what is it about this sustainable sustainability renewable energy industry right and as i uh, was reflecting i find that um we can't really exist without the, the core business so in a way the sustainability industry itself is started out as not being sustainable and why i say that i think um uh, uh i'm so i have mostly been involved in the solar industry right so my uh, experience is uh, a lot in that area it all started out with policies as well as incentives right you get a lot of discounts but all of that is not sustainable at all right so even to support a sustainable industry as an ecosystem it was not sustainable right it requires some soaking time you need that lead time in order to have um uh what you call that the economies of scale to reduce prices right so we need to constantly uh, reflect on how the whole industry started in order to move forward right because even right now um even if you look at our electric cars right yeah yeah it is um one of those uh, um uh, things where it is good for the environment it does not uh, emit a lot of co2 but in terms of the materials that they use it's not really sustainable as well right so i think we we always need to get into that that thinking that yes i am in the sustainable uh, development industry my fellow colleagues are in the oil and gas industry but we do support each other absolutely i i resonate with your insights on the importance of what you call a just transitioning uh, and adopting a holistic approach towards sustainability i think it kind of underscores the significance of understanding varied perspectives uh, especially when we delve deeper into human capital development. Uh, now, focusing back on Malaysia, uh, where the role of sustainability professional uh, you know, is still in its infancy stages, uh, there's a compelling narrative that emphasizes on immediate action. Yet, when we, you know, when we look at key considerations like infrastructure, economies of scale, uh, and when we look at the path of commercialization, you know, these are key things that we cannot overlook. In like with that, how do you envision uh, in the role of human capital development specialists uh, in facilitating the transition towards uh, a desired sustainable future? Right. So um, what we are currently doing right now is that we are putting a lot more focus into leadership competencies as opposed to that, uh, the hard skills, right? Your your technical competencies. And why it's not saying that technical uh, competencies is not uh, important. It's just that 
we have it down already. We are experts in, in technical competencies, right? But what is the value added is actually the, the leadership competencies because this is where um, without leadership competencies, you can't really support the requirements to innovate, to be agile, to think, to think differently. And even from an organizational point of view, especially big organizations, right? When, when things happen uh, out there in the industry, which requires the company to change quickly, to pivot quickly, you need talents who can also pivot, right? And how, and it's not an easy thing for you to one day do this. You've been doing a, a certain role comfortably for the past three, five years and to change overnight even, right? It's not easy. Because sometimes people fall into all these negative thoughts saying, oh, I'm not important anymore and things like that. But what would carry them out of it is things like your um, learning agility. Yeah, your, your ability uh, to, to see beyond what is current, right? Your, your ability to even rally others to come along with you in this new journey, right? And that is super important. Um, especially if you are leaders in the company and you have your own uh, team. I agree. I think leadership undoubtedly plays a pivotal role uh, in the evolution of human capital, especially in the context of sustainability. But when you talk about the, the trilemma, the trifecta of leadership, human capital development and sustainability, how do you view this convergence? Uh, what are the proactive measures are you implementing to upskill your employees uh, in this ever-evolving and ever-changing demands of sustainability? Competency is like a currency. that It defines me um, as a talent in the company. So what are the comp competencies that I carry in my bag? So what we are saying right now to our talents, previously we have put in so much focus in terms of the, the technical competency. We're saying, okay, you need to build your niche area. And your niche area is, for example, mechanical engineering, it could be HSE, it could be planning and things like that. But what we are saying right now, look, hey, so even if you're um, an electrical engineer, sometimes you are being tasked to projects. That, that, that is completely normal. So you also need to build up on your project management skills. Right, so even an electrical engineer has become quite diverse, and that is uh, how um, we want to develop our talents in order for them to be able to quickly pivot, and that is the same for for leadership competencies as well. Previously, when we look into uh, mobility and progression, right, promotion, even it has always been an evaluation on past performance as well as their technical competencies but now we're saying hey leadership competencies is is as important so that is another um, data point that needs to be considered whenever we talk about uh, talents right whenever decisions need to be made about talents so we are really going around uh, doing all the, the, the required upskilling in terms of pushing this um, leadership competencies forward and the importance, how important it is in terms of your... You know, I truly resonate with, with 
your emphasis on developing key con- competencies, especially as industries transition uh, from primarily technical skill base into more leadership driven competencies. You know, it, it's very clear that this is what's needed to, to drive change. Uh, but given, you know, considerable resources that have been poured into upskilling employees, um, and, you know, let's reference a, a recent Job Street report that highlights that the demand for sustainable professionals has increased. Um, what are you doing to first, what are you doing to keep your employees that you've already trained? And uh, secondly, what are the strategies you, you, you do or you take part in to attract new sustainability professionals into your organization? Talents who are focused in sustainable development, um, I think they, I'm not saying that they are scarce, but in Malaysia itself, we, we don't have a lot of, right? Especially uh, when we talk about the systems thinking, ability to innovate and all of that, we don't really have uh, a lot of talents fitting in their profile. Because even uh, currently, uh, I think last week or two weeks ago, uh, SPM 2022 results came out, right? So now they're all applying for uh, their courses and things like that. And it's still pretty much based on discipline, right? Engineering, uh, medicine, law, and things like that. There, there is not a lot of courses focusing or being specific in sustainable development. And that is, is a given because you need all these experiences in order for you to become a really good sustainable development uh, practitioner, I would say. But back to your question, losing losing talent, I think, for any industry is, is something which happens all the time. And it is something which we can't really prevent because I think uh, when I first entered the work for, work, uh, workforce, loyalty was a really big thing, right? right? Even our parents, right? They were loyal to one company or one or two. But now we find that um, talents are really jumping everywhere, you know, like almost every two years they will find uh, new roles and things like that. And what they do is could be very diverse, right? So that is the, the behavior of, of our younger generation talents. It's not something that we can stop. But uh, for me personally, there are things such as um, career development, right? opportunities uh, to be involved in. Uh, I, I think what, what attracts them sometimes is like uh, they want like people to know what they do, right? So they want to be involved in all this, um, what you call that, all this uh, high level corporate projects. They want to get opportunities overseas and things like that. And if they are competent, why not, right? And I think we have we have reached to a point where we don't necessarily equate years of experience to competence, right? So previously, I think um, uh, this is not really prevalent in overseas countries, but Malaysian companies, they tend to, especially those that expand, right? They tend to put older people as head of regions, head of countries, Right and and because the evaluation back then was on years of experience, right? You need to be a certain age, otherwise people won't really trust what you say and things like that. 
but I see that that pattern changing. We're having a lot of uh, younger CEOs, even in the in big companies, we're seeing a lot of uh, younger senior senior leadership, and why that's happening is because we currently we are really evaluating them uh, based on their competence, right? And it's not based on their their years of uh, of experience. Yeah, so that that uh that's some of the things uh, or actions that we can do to kind of attract uh, the younger talents in terms of opening their eyes, saying that you chart your own career, right? But what you need is to build your competence, make it your currency. So that is something which you can sell in terms of uh, getting other opportunities within the company. You've, you've kind of shed light onto the transformative shift in the, in the professional sustainability arena. Uh, and your emphasis is on the importance of systems thinking, innovation, and, and the need for sustainability professionals to ground themselves in technical expertise. I, I think it's truly inspiring what you're doing and, and how you see younger generation, especially uh, Generation X, challenging you know traditional norms by valuing skills uh, and competency over tenure or, or, or time-based uh, metrics that that is traditionally used. Uh, this evolution, you know, is is especially visible, as you say, uh, in Malaysia, where they pick, uh, you know, where promotion is is generally based on time served. Um, you know, given this new shift, I'm curious about how do you integrate technology? Um, you know, how do you perceive the role of AI in human development? and in sustainability. Is there a trend uh, towards moving towards AI? And if so, uh, how might this influence education and training for organizations in sustainability and in general? Okay. Um, I think how AI impacts me especially, right, is in terms of having that, that knowledge at the tip of your fingers. You can just ask anything and you will get an answer. You can even generate a thesis for all that matter, right? But again, it is as good as the information that is being pumped in. You still need that um, element of uh, analysis, right? Does it make sense, right? And uh, that, that critical thinking. Um, so you can't be... Uh, submitting, like for example, if you write one the AI to write a thesis for you, yes, you can do that. But you can't submit that whole thing as your submission, right? You still need to make it your own, right? And that is something which um, I, I am still unsure of whether or not that will be a big risk, um, as, uh, not just in the human capital development side, but to all the other areas, right? Or things, issues like plagiarism and, and things like that along those lines. But how AI can really help is because it collects all this data already in the uh, internet, which is an open market, and it does the synthesizing for you, right? But again, uh, sometimes it can give like funny, funny results. But for example, we currently we are looking at how do we want, what are the principles that uh, we need to establish in order 
um, to uh, uh, to establish a, a certain uh, skill group or a certain skill set within the company. And then uh, it came out with a very, very nice slide, but the pictures of the the that the AI used was like totally random. <laughs> when it when it, it talks about uh, organizational behavior, it used like a picture of a bee. So <laughs> you still get uh, those those kinds of funny funny results. And and I think uh, at this moment, just utilizing AI is not enough. But um, in the future, I think it holds a lot of potential, um, especially in terms of uh, shortening the amount of time required to do research, for example. Because I recall when I was um, in university, I worked in a flume lab. So a flume lab um, is where they, we recreated a river in the lab. And it was like hard labor for me because we had to sift through all these rocks according to size and color them and uh, when you put it in the flume uh, it was everything was being done manually uh, for example like I think the, the research was on how uh, the river flow impacted the movement of the rocks in the riverbed right so it was really specific and um, it was a lot of manual work. The research went on for for a year or two. But I think um, with AI and with the technologies that we had, we didn't we don't even need to build that structure, right? There are there are so many simulations. You can probably do hundreds of simulations a day, right? And and really shorten that that research period. So I feel that AI would be excellent in the areas of research yes as well as um innovation yeah because you would get all this this different uh, perspective from everywhere and i think as you are putting in the keywords right it's, it's really making you reflect and think what what is it that you are really looking for in many conversations on this podcast i think a recurring team uh, emerges uh, the intimate connection between sustainability and innovation uh, you know, you've mentioned this a few times as we spoke. Uh, you know, sustainable solutions often require thinking beyond uh, conventional boundaries. Yet a trend when I observed is that within the human capital development space, upskilling funds are predominantly targeted for senior management. And I believe that this leaves the broader workforce, especially those not directly engaged, with you know sustainability facets, uh, they are overlooked in sustainable training. Uh, in your view, if the majority of employees aren't equally versed in sustainability, how might this affect an organization's drive to achieve its ESG targets or objectives? Um, actually, uh, coincidentally, our team was just talking about this yesterday because now currently is uh, we're on the budgeting cycle for next year. So we're thinking about what kind of sustainable uh, programs as a, a department uh, we can do, right? And I think one thing that we must realize that sustainable uh, development is not just solar. It's not just about technology, right? Even if we look at the, the 17 SDGs as being outlined by the UN, number one is no po poverty, right? It's not even pushing out technologies. 
it's, it's really going back to basics. No poverty, zero hunger, good health and well-being. So those are all basic, right? And I think um, we also need to realize that there is no one way of approaching it. Even as a company, if you, are, if you have uh, CSR uh, activities to support zero hunger, right? That is still supporting the, the sustainability development goals, right? It's just that bigger companies might have uh, more money to spend. So they will spend in uh, technology, right? Get really uh, getting the, the branding side of it to, to be seen as a sustainable uh, company and things like that. But in terms of the, the narrative given to the talents within the organization, I think, um, as you mentioned, that, that is key because we do have um, talent supporting the core business and talent supporting um, renewable energy or sustainable development. And I feel personally, um, I, I have not had that experience where they claim that the company is being unfair in terms of investments because um, it really is on a needs basis, right? And, and we are clear uh, that the core business is still required to support. And we are also clear that there are certain risks that needs to be taken. Yeah. Uh, as we draw a close, I'd like to hear your personal perspectives on how do you envision the future landscape of sustainability and renewable energy in Malaysia? In my research, um, while doing my master's, I, I look back at uh, Rancangan Malaysia, Kedua, Ketiga and all that. And from the past, we have always been revising our goals. And, and why is that? It's because it has, we have always taken um, an approach where we look at it from a strategic point of view without really having that support at the tactical as well as the operational level, right? Because um, as a country, uh, they have the strategic goals, but they expect everyone else to support. But sometimes that's not the case, right? Because the, the strategic goals were done not in consultation with all the other stakeholders within the country, right? So I believe that they don't really, uh, they don't feel any ownership towards those goals. And Malaysia obviously has a lot of potential, especially in solar, especially in biomass. So um, I hope that those strategies, and I think uh, it will be up for, for revision soon because it always happens whenever there's a change of government, change of ministers, they always look back and revise all these goals, right? And if they can crack the code in terms of how do they effectively trickle down the strategies to the tactical and operational level, then we would be moving forward so much faster. But honestly, I think um, looking at the, the current economy, uh, the current, uh, even our, yesterday I was looking at our exchange rate, it's not that great at this moment. And I think we, we need to be honest about it. So at this point of time, should we, 
our focus in sustainable development be along those lines of renewable energy, right? Or should it be more focused towards all the other areas like clean water, sanitation, um, no poverty and things like that, right? So that is something uh, which, which the current government needs to really evaluate. Thanks, Lucina. I want to extend my gratitude for you joining uh, our podcast today. Uh, you know, I, I think your insights on the convergence of system thinking, uh, the role of competency over tenure, and the shifting dynamics in Malaysia's professional landscape, I think is, is, is truly enlightening. Uh, you know, I think our listeners have gained invaluable perspectives. And, you know, I, I, want, I hope to have you back on, on our podcast again. Uh, and once again, thank you so much for joining us today. And I look forward to, to see what you do uh, uh, with your master's and, and in, in your professional career. Thanks, Tosina. Okay, thank you, Ben.